You see how John, the disciple John, or the Apostle John, speaks from experience. He was there, and he saw how Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And another thing about this passage, we go to Mark 6. You know, there's the heights of Jesus' ministry, the signs and wonders, and people following after him, and all of a sudden, rejection. Rejection. And it's followed by mission in verses 7 through 13, which is really interesting. The truth remains the truth. And what you see here is a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing, or you could say a pointing to a greater rejection and a greater mission. Where does that rejection occur? At the cross, right? It's a rejection by the world. And that opens the way for a greater mission, the Great Commission, where we're to advance Christ's name into the world. But it's interesting, his rejection becomes a life-giving message to the world, the cross. So already you see a foreshadowing here of something bigger to come in terms of his rejection, in terms of the advancement of the church's mission. Let's read those verses together again in English, in our English Bibles. Mark 6, Mark 6, verses 1 through 13. Our focus is the first six verses. It happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain. Sorry, that's Luke. Mark 6. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He also said to them, In whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from that place, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. But our, first, our focus this morning is verses 1 through 6a. Uh, a prophet without honor. Indeed, Christ is a prophet, but we see him receiving no honor, or the honor that is that is due him. You know, and that's true. Usually in a homecoming, a person who has been gone for a long time, he is well received in his village, among his old school friends, they throw a party for him. He's welcomed. He's honored. 
They may even invite the whole village to attend his coming. Think of the Raptors, the recent win of the Raptors, the title, the championship, right? With, uh, what's his name? Leonard Kawahi. And how Kawahi Leonard, I don't know which way it was. But either way, you know, they, the city threw a big parade for that, for the, for the, for the uh, Raptors and for Leonard. And on top of that, they paid honors and tribute to a, a man. Just a man. Now here in Mark 6, here comes the Lord Jesus Christ among his own. Who is he? He's the one who is the creator of the world, who created all things. Right? Read John 1. Through him, all things were created. Uh, one whom you think would receive honor among his own people. Right? The eternal Son of God. And he has the greatest news to share. He has come in the flesh. Right? The Son of God, the eternal Son of God has come in the flesh. And he has shown that in him the kingdom has come. In him there is forgiveness of sins and new life and every blessing. The reversal of the curse and the blessings of the kingdom to come. It's all found in Jesus. And yet, he came to his own. John 1 verse 11. And his own did not receive him. Wow. A man who gave himself. The son of God who gave himself as a sacrifice. Many were not willing to receive him. A prophet, yes. But not the honor that was due him. And that raises the question, of course... It happened in those days. It's very well possible today too. A prophet, Jesus the prophet, may be among us today. He is. But it's very well possible he is not receiving the honor that is due him. And so what we see this morning from Mark 6. See a prophet here. See Jesus. The prophet. The chief prophet. The fulfillment of all the prophets of scripture. See him without honor. As a matter of fact, the crown of thorns will soon be cast upon his head. And we see three things here. If you look at verses 1 and 2, he goes there and they're astonished at him. They're astonished at him. And then you go to verses 2 and 3, what do you read? They're offended at him. And in verses 4 through 6, they reject him. Right? Unbelief, very simply, is just rejection. Anyone who does not believe in Jesus also rejects Jesus. So they're astonished at him, they're offended at him, and finally they reject him. Almost sounds like the story of the crucifixion coming, doesn't it? But anyway, we're going to look at the first point, verses 1 and 2. Where did Jesus come from? He had just come from Capernaum. And that's where you see the story of the resurrection of the little girl. Talitha, I say to you, arise. Little girl, arise. He had just come from Capernaum. Capernaum was his headquarters for his ministry. That was his base. And now we read in verse 1, he went from there, so he went from that place, and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. John would have been one of those disciples. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. His own country. What is his own country? His own country refers to the place where he grew up. Where did he grow up? Nazareth. 
It doesn't mention the place here, but the other Gospels mentions the place where Jesus was raised as a boy for many, many years until he started his ministry, until about 30. Where was he born? Born in Bethlehem. His ministry headquarters were in Capernaum, but he was known as the prophet from Nazareth. You see that in... um, Where is that again? In verses... I'm trying to find that. Oh, Matthew 21, verse 11. He's a prophet of the Nazareth of Nazareth of Galilee. Or simply, he was known as a Nazarene. Matthew 2, verse 23. So yeah, that's, that's where he goes. He goes to Nazareth. Jesus does not return to Nazareth to take time off, or to take a vacation, right? Or to visit family and friends. Although he may have done that. But he goes there to do what? He goes there to teach and to heal. As he did in all the other places. Surely you would think they would receive him. This is his hometown. This is where he grew up. Surely they would just welcome him, put out the red mat, and and throw a big celebration for him. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, coming to his own. And we read in verse 2 what Jesus did. He was certainly probably invited to speak, no doubt. Verse 2, the Sabbath came, that was the day of rest. He began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. Now that word astonished is a very strong word here. It simply means here, they were just, you know how sometimes you're so surprised your jaw drops? That was the the sense of what's going on here. And the jaw drop didn't just last for a few seconds, but the sense that it continued. Wow. Wow. Did you hear him? We've heard so many things about him, but did you hear him? Two things. What did they hear? They heard his wisdom. Of course, he's the wisdom of God. He's the wisdom from God. Proverbs 8. He's the wisdom of God. And, of course, they also heard about his power. The healings and miracles that he did in surrounding villages. And they're probably hoping that he'll do some of them, those things among them. But you notice they question the source of his wisdom and power. Where did this man, literally it means, where did this guy, sort of a derogatory, sort of belittling, belittling uh, view of Jesus, where did this guy get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? They're puzzled. They're perplexed. They're astonished. I mean, it doesn't really fit with their view of Jesus. They knew him as he was growing up, but he was just an ordinary man. What happened at the synagogue? If you go to Luke 4, do you get a, a fuller account what happened in Nazareth? Luke 4, 17-22. Remember, Jesus was invited up to the front, and there was a, an attendant, or you could say a scribe. He handed Jesus the scroll. The scroll of what? The scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus selected the text from Isaiah. What did he open up the scroll of Isaiah to? Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, according to Luke 4. And there Isaiah states that in the coming age, the Spirit of God would rest upon God's anointed one. And he would proclaim, that anointed one would proclaim good tidings to the poor, 
release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed. And Jesus taught and explained all of this, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the intendant, and then you read there in the synagogue, people were just staring at him. Their eyes were just fixed on him. I mean, there's the amazement, there's the astonishment. And Jesus says, folks, it's about me. This is fulfilled in me. I am the anointed one. This is realized in me. This is who I am. He is the Messiah. He's the one sent from God. Jesus spoke with freshness, with power, with conviction, with authority, with grace. But you know what? The favorable reaction didn't last long. Why not? If you go to verses 2 and 3, they're offended at Jesus. Why? Why are they so offended at him? Well, that brings us to to verses 2 and 3. They knew Jesus as one of their own. He grew up with them. He went to school with them. He would eat with them. They would play together in the playground. They would do all sorts of things together. And now the fact that Jesus spoke with wisdom and they heard about all those wonderful things that he did, it just doesn't fit with their image of who Jesus was. The words were wonderful, but him coming from Jesus? How's that possible? Where do these things come from? They didn't even consider the fact that he would be the Son of God or the Messiah. To them, he was just an ordinary man. Simple. He's the simple, plain Jesus. He doesn't wear royal robes. He doesn't have a throne in Jerusalem. He's just a simple man. A plain Jesus. Verses 2 and 3, I mentioned a little earlier, is, is very derogatory in its sense. Literally, it's saying, again, where did this guy get these things from? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. Huh? What? Really? Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary? Notice that. They don't even say that he's the son of Joseph. They just say, oh, he's the son of Mary. The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simeon are not his sisters here with us. We, we, we know the family. We know his siblings. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. In other words, we grew up with this guy. And look, he's a carpenter. Right? What's a carpenter do? He takes a hammer and he, today, he hammers nails into side wood. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. And who was the carpenter? Joseph. A very poor family. Very poor family. But here he is called the carpenter. He's not only the son of a carpenter, Jesus himself is the carpenter. So you can imagine Jesus was an apprentice in the dusty workshop of Joseph, using a hammer, using a pick, building building things out of stones or perhaps out of wood. Seems strange, doesn't it? A man so important, so important. The Messiah, 
What? God incarnate, through whom all things were made. He had to be taught to build things. That's kind of a low job. Right? We have an idea sometimes certain jobs are really low. Oh, that's what they were thinking about Jesus. Ah, what? Him? They did not see Jesus submitting himself to the humility of being fully human. Like us in every way. He was not ashamed. He did, was not ashamed to call us his, his brothers and sisters. And he did. He learned how to fix things. He was a handyman. He built things out of stone and built things out of wood. His hands, if you would see his hands, were probably very rough and lots of calluses on his hands. The Son of God took to himself the form of a servant. In the sweat of his face, he ate bread as a working man. Jesus knows to not work is sin. Is sin. He worked. And he worked with his hands. Never, never is it shameful to work with your hands. Never. It's shameful to be a gambler. It's shameful to steal. It's shameful to deceive. But never. Look at our Lord Jesus Christ. But they had a hard time accepting that. His human origins really offend them. Look whose son he was. Poor family. Mary. Brothers and sisters. And we read in verse 3, they were offended at him. What was the offense? Just who he was. Just plain, ordinary Jesus. The ordinary Jesus himself. The actual word there for offend means scandalized. You know what scandal is, right? They're scandalized by him. They're scandalized by a working man now proclaiming that God's kingdom has come in his person and presence. See, there you see the riddle, the, the, the riddle in some ways, the mystery of God being fully, of Jesus being fully God, fully man. Truly God, truly man. <laughs> right? Truly human. It didn't fit. It didn't fit their idea of who Jesus was. This was not their idea of the Messiah, the Son of God. The Messiah, in their thinking, was one who should be a warrior who would come and, and battle Rome, take over Rome, and Jesus would be sitting on the throne of Rome, and, or really the throne of Jerusalem. Uh, they expected some sort of firebrand to come down from heaven, one who was just so unearthly and so unearthy, one who would just woo the people with his flash and glitz. Wow. He was from a poor family. He worked with his hands. It did not fit their idea of a grand Messiah. This man was just too ordinary. They didn't see beyond his ordinariness, his plainness. They didn't see beyond his humanity. What was the problem? They didn't see him by faith. That was the problem. They didn't see the more. Just by looking at Jesus, you couldn't see that he's God. <laughs> that he's the son of God. They, they didn't see by faith. They didn't look beyond his 
His calloused hands, his rough hands of a carpenter. That's all they saw. Oh, they knew he performed things by his hands, but they didn't perceive him. They didn't perceive or see Jesus whose hands touched the leper. They didn't see him in all his glory and power. They didn't see him, the hand that took the little girl by her hand and said, little girl, I say to you, arise. They did not see his compassionate, tender, powerful hands. They will not see and understand that these are the hands that were strong in the cleansing of the temple. They will not see that those hands are the hands so gracious to receive children into his kingdom. They did not see that those hands were, would be pierced and wounded on Calvary because of our sins. They would not see that those hands would rise victorious from the dead and he would lift his hands over, the, over his disciples and bless them. They didn't see that. They didn't see beyond a carpenter, a human builder, That's all they saw. But, furthermore, they didn't see that by him all things were made. That's a greater builder. (laughs) They didn't see the great builder of the universe in him. They didn't see the Son of God, the carpenter of Nazareth, who would build his church on earth. That's the real builder. They didn't see that. Who would build his church on earth, and he's preparing and building mansions for his own today. They didn't see that. They wouldn't hear it. Now, just a quick application. Isn't that a danger among us too? The danger is we become so familiar with the Word of God. It seems so ordinary. It seems so plain. It seems so simple that we no longer see the glory of Jesus in here. From him, him speaking to us. It's kind of like going to Niagara Falls, I suppose. Although not perfectly like that, but it's kind of like going to Niagara Falls. Newcomers come to Canada. What's the first place they want to see? They want to see Niagara Falls. But you know what? Those living there, they don't care about Niagara Falls. They they don't see the beauty anymore. They don't see the power. They don't see the glory. Well, the same thing can really so happen among us today. Sometimes in the church, people are tired of this. They want to go where they see miracles. They want to see a show. They want to see signs and they want to see wonders. They want to see drama. They want to see people shaking. They want to see people falling to the ground. Why? Because they're offended at this. They're offended at Jesus in the word of God. It's an offense. They say, what? That's all you do? Teach? Preach? Where's the glory in that? They miss Jesus. They miss him. They're offended at him. Wow. That's what was going on here in Nazareth. They wanted wanted to show they wanted all, they wanted Jesus to do miracles among them. But this, Jesus? No. They're scandalized. They're scandalized by him. Well, 
It's a real danger. And yet, we know from the Bible that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does His real work in the believers through the Word of God. Through the Word. Cleansing, teaching, shaping, forming, molding, building. That's the real building work of the church of Jesus Christ. That's the real building work of Christ going on in His church. It's through the Word of God. Simple. It's ordinary. It looks plain. But by faith we see more, don't we? We see Christ, the power of God. The power of God unto salvation. We see the Holy Spirit at work. This is, this is, the, this is the truth. This is the real power. Right? The wonder, the glory of Christ's work. We see by faith through the plain spoken word. Notice the Apostle Paul. The Jews were saying, we want to see, we want to see miracles. And the Gentiles were saying, no, 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 we want want you to praise us for our wisdom. What is Paul saying? Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to the Jews. A stumbling block means it's an offense. It's an offense to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There it is. The power, the wisdom of God, and the word of God. Simple. It's so simple. It's so plain. It's so ordinary. But, you know, it's the real work of God by His Spirit that He builds us through this. That's the real building work of Christ by His Spirit. They didn't see it. They didn't see Jesus. Oh, they saw Jesus with the physical eyes, but they didn't really see Jesus, who he truly is. He was like a stone. They tripped over him. They fell, says 1 Peter 2, verse 8. They stumbled over him. They tripped. They fell. To which they were destined. Finally, we see, not only are they offended at him, they say, ah, that's not our Jesus. Forget about him. They didn't believe in him. Jesus saw it all and how he must have suffered. He gave up his position of glory head with the Father from all eternity. He came to his own and they said, no thanks. No thank you. And Jesus says this. It's a proverb. He says, our prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and his own house. What Jesus says is wherever it may be a prophet is honored, he's not going to be honored among his own. In his own hometown. And I think some of us may know what that's like practically. Sometimes family or friends in the town in which we grew up, or family and friends we grew up with, say, who are you to tell us? They remember you. They're familiar with you. But they don't honor what you say and I think for some for new believers especially sometimes family is the most difficult to witness to because they they know you as they grew up with you and truly it is right a prophet is without honor in his own hometown they remember you all too well and that's what's going on here in saying this proverb, Jesus definitely implies, what's he, what's he saying? I am a prophet. He is a prophet. 
He indeed is a prophet. It's just that he's a prophet who's not honored, who doesn't receive the honor. Their own scripture, these Jews whom he was speaking to, they had their own Bible. And in Deuteronomy, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, there Moses said that God would raise up a prophet that you should hear. And now the prophet was among them. They didn't see the fulfillment before their own very eyes. They didn't hear him. Why? Because they didn't want to. They didn't want to. They wanted a show. They wanted a circus. They wanted people falling down. They didn't want the word. That's what they didn't want. Unbelief stood in the way. And you see two sad results in verses 5 and 6. He could do no mighty works there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And second, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. We'll just look at those two results. The results of that rejection. First, Jesus could do no mighty works there. This does not mean that he did not have the power. He certainly had the power. But because of their unbelief, he did not want to do those things among them. Jesus didn't come to tantalize their senses. Right? Worship is not a circus. Worship is not a gong show. Many today don't experience the blessing of God's mighty work of grace in their lives because they reject Him. And of course, today, rejection can come in different forms. I'll give you an example. I remember when I was going to school, we had a wonderful professor. His name was Dr. Long. And Dr. Long gave us a very special book. It's a devotional book. It was on prayer. And uh, one time we were there in class. He said, who of you read this? Well, I, wasn't, I was one of them that did not read it. I didn't read it. And he said, you missed out on a real blessing. You know why I didn't read it? Because I thought I was too busy. My life, my work was more important than showing honor to this professor. And you think about that in the church of Jesus Christ today. Christ comes to us Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And sometimes we can easily do the same thing. Well, I don't need to come today. And Christ can only say one thing. You missed a real blessing. Are you offended at me? Don't you want to show me honor? Isn't that what that means? By choosing not to come to listen to Jesus and worship, is saying, I'm not going to give you the honor today. My life is more important than what you have to say, Jesus. You see, that's what real honor is. Honor is just more than bowing the head. Honor comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. That's one form of that rejection comes from. It's rejection. 
It's not only not showing honor to the prophet, it's rejection of the prophet. There's another thing here. There's sometimes people who come, they honor, Jesus says they honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Yeah. But even then, we need to pray because he can do those mighty works in our hearts and lives so that we begin to honor him, not just with our lips, with our singing, but from the heart. That's what he wants. That's what he's calling for. Honor from the heart. Look, his, look at his heart for you. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. He sacrificed his life for me. He poured out it on a cross. And then we would turn around and say, you're not worthy of the honor. Every Sunday, every single Sunday, he's worthy of the honor. Oh, poor pity. Those people who miss and miss again because they miss out on a blessing. And worse yet, it's a form of rejecting the Messiah. Sorry to say that, but it is. It's a form of rejection. It's a form of crucifying him. How can we respond in such a way, in this way to him? This is what Jesus faced here. This is what he faced here in Nazareth. We are his own. How do we respond to him? It's a hard passage, but it's here. We have to preach through it. Jesus, John says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. You know, how do times of refreshing come? How do the mighty works come into your lives? By hearing him, really. That's where you receive the strength through your trials. That's where you stand, that's where you gain the strength to stand firm on your ground for Jesus. That's where you gain the strength for your marriage. This is where the strength comes for you to live among your daily workers. Again and again, Peter says too, he says, repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's how times of refreshing come from the Lord, by coming to Him and honoring Him. All honor is due to Him. He's a prophet for His people. He's a prophet with honor. With honor. Times of refreshing come through one way. That's only through the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. Through the Word of God. That's it. That's the only way. If we don't put ourselves under the rain, we're going to starve. We're going to die. We're going to... It's a wilderness. And here Jesus showers, showers his word upon us. That's where the mighty works are done. When we receive those works by faith. Right? The mighty works that come through faith. Right? What we mean by mighty works is simply that. The strength to live our life. The strength to stand for Christ. The strength to stand our ground. The ability to endure trials. Yeah, wow. That's a witness to the world. First thing, right? He could not do mighty works there because they didn't believe. The second thing is Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. They had the word of God and he says, what? They're the ones that don't believe. This man who had the demons, he wanted to follow Jesus. He shared the word of Jesus. But these people, they had a word of God. 
They had nothing to say. Jesus is surprised. They heard his wisdom. They heard about his mighty works. But they didn't believe. And Jesus simply marvels. And you know something in our passage here. You see how mission follows Jesus' rejection. Now we're not focusing on verses 7 through 13. But immediately, Jesus doubles his efforts. The truth is the truth. I mean, people can choose to reject the truth, but it doesn't change the truth. The truth remains the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life for the whole world. Uh, Jesus doubles his efforts. He redoubles his efforts. He intensifies his efforts. What's the first thing he does? He goes around to the other villages, and then he takes his 12 disciples. He says, okay, you go. You go through all Israel, two by two. Two, 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 two. And you go out and you proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. You proclaim Jesus Christ. You go teach. You tell them that there's healing in me. And that's what he did. He redoubled his efforts. But you know what? It points, as we said earlier, to a greater rejection, a greater mission. The rejection of the world, or by the world, of Christ on the cross. But it's followed by the risen Christ commission to advance his name, his glorious name, his name to all eternity, to, to advance his name by the proclamation of his name throughout the world. He said to his disciples, going therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. It's all there. There in Mark 6, it's Israel. In Acts, it's the world. But you know what's so amazing here? You know, the, the, the rejection of Jesus becomes a life-giving message of Jesus to the world. Christ is the truth. For all who honor him, there is life. For all who do not honor him, there is no life. There is no life. Nazareth did not honor him. They, re- they rejected the life. By rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting life. How much plainer can we make it be? How much clearer is this than this? It's so clear. Honor, life. No honor, death. How do we receive him? Is he worthy of the honor? Let's show our faith. Right? It's a faith that shows itself in response. Wow. His rejection on the cross for the sin of the world becomes a life-giving message to the world for all who believe. He died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. And God has honored him. Will we honor him? God has honored him by placing him at the right hand, at his right hand on the throne. And today, the Lord Jesus wants to be honored, not only by us coming every Sunday, Sunday by Sunday, but also going out into the world and advance his good name, his name which is to be honored. And you notice that Peter, in Acts, he repeats what Moses said to the Israelites in those days about Jesus, the coming prophet. And again, Peter says in Acts 3, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Him you shall hear in all things. And he adds, Whatever he says to you, do. Hear Jesus. Hear Jesus. It's just his ordinary, simple word by which he does his powerful works in us through faith. Faith. Yeah, faith. And Jesus says, blessed is he, in Matthew 11, blessed is he 
who is not offended because of me. Amen.